But the title of this preach is, You Have an Inheritance, and it's better than you think. And, and what I'm hoping we can get out of this is that when you think about God, if you close your eyes and you think about how God thinks about you, what is it that you think? Is it a kind, loving, benevolent friend and father? Is it this God of like judgments and wrath and rules? Is it a God who's kind of scary now but going to be awesome later? And I feel like the Lord's saying, I want to show you my heart towards you this morning. And, and so we're, we're going out of Ephesians this morning, which is such a cool, they call it the darling of the epistles. It's like this beautiful letter that Paul writes. Like if you have to ever go to a desert island and you can take one book of the Bible with you, I'd recommend Ephesians. That's nice, punchy, but it, it kind of just sums and distills the gospel message so beautifully. And what I love is the way that Paul opens this letter, because he just comes in quite like full of just love and friendliness and favor. And so he opens his letter with like, Hi, I'm Paul, an apostle called by God, and I'm writing to you, God's elect, those chosen by God. And he launches this incredible statement that God chose us before the creation even of the whole world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So before you were born, before you sinned, before you messed up, before you did anything well or not well, the Lord looked at you and said, Anton, I have chosen you to be holy and blameless in my sight. And I love that word because holy actually means like God. I have chosen you to be like me, pure, undefiled, blameless. And I love it. It's like the Lord is saying from the start, listen, my ultimate destiny for you is that you would be like me, close to me. And he goes on to say that God has actually adopted us. He's done this beautiful work of adoption through his son, Jesus, that he did this. And I love it. It says, because it was his will and his good pleasure. So God looked at you and said, you know what? I want to do this and I'm going to do it because it brings me joy. Rachel, you're going to be mine. No other reason than it gives me great pleasure and it's my will. I love that. God's just like, I'm going to do it. I'm doing it. I did it. And it's this beautiful thing. There's like, no, you were a sinner. And like, obviously, we're a sinner saved by grace. Yes, that's true. But even, I mean, most famous passage of Scripture we know, John 3.16, doesn't start with, you were a sinner lost in your transgressions. No. It starts with, for God so loved you that he gave his only son. It's like everything he does, all of God's might and power and majesty is directed at us out of his love. Not his sense of justice or wrath or love. So he says you've been adopted by his grace, which he gives freely and without reserve. So it's like you didn't even earn this thing. I'm giving it to you and I'm giving it to you without reserve. It's got no measure according to what you've done. And so through this incredible act of love that God has done through His Son, Jesus, we see that we're brought back from our slave master's sin and death, and He brings us into this life of, his, of, of Jesus. And then He says, and then He's chosen to share with us the mystery of His plan and His will. So God says, like, not only am I saving you from what you were, but I'm going to let you in on the plan. I'm going to bring you into the inner circle, and I'm going to tell you 
why I'm doing this. I'm going to share with you the point of your life and your destiny. And this plan is to bring everything in all of creation together in unity under Jesus. So everything that has ever been created, the Lord is saying, you are going to join with me in this work of bringing everything together in unity under the person of Jesus. And he says, and you were chosen by God. I love this, like we sang that this morning as well. Like, you have been chosen. You weren't like accidentally a Christian. You didn't, you know, happen to just be in the right place at the right time one Sunday and you're like, okay, I'll get saved. It's like, no, the Lord chose you. He directed all of his will at getting you and saying, you're, you're mine, I want you. And then he gives us this hope and this future wrapped up in the person of Jesus that we have got a role to play and wealth and value in his kingdom. And then he does this beautiful thing and he says, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit as a deposit and a seal of your inheritance. So I love this. The Lord is like, I'm not playing around here. It's not a maybe you're going to get it. It's like, no, I've chosen you and you're mine and you've chosen me and so I'm putting my Holy Spirit on you. It is a deposit, so it is a down payment that guarantees the thing that is going to come and it is a seal. It is a mark. It is a, it's written on your bones as part of your identity that there is something that is going to come. And that thing is this beautiful word called inheritance. And I love it. We're going to look at inheritance. And you know, for us, Inheritance is kind of a weird idea. It's always associated with someone died and they left us stuff. But there's so much more to it because our inheritance is not just then. Some of it is actually for now. And so we're going to quickly read through Ephesians 1 verse 15 to 22. So I'm just going to read it. It's a reasonably long passage, but it's great. We're going to break it down a bit. And so Paul has just given this beautiful introduction on who we are and who we are in Jesus and what the Lord has done. And he says, and for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. So it's actually such a cool scripture that we had a cool prayer night the other night and Steen actually read this out. And it was just so, so beautiful, man. Um, And so this idea of inheritance is, is so intrinsically tied into how the father actually feels about you. Because parents who love their children, like they leave them good things. They give good things to their children. It is unmerited. It's undeserved. It is, you're my child. And because you are my child, you share in everything that I have. And so what is an inheritance? So for us, it's something that's left to you by someone who really loves you. 
usually it's a good thing. It's a gift. It's a treasure. Um, it's a legacy. It's something to look forward to. But this use of inheritance is interesting in this passage of Scripture because it actually has what they call a double entendre. It's a double meaning. There's this deliberate play on words in this passage that Paul uses to create a double meaning for this word inheritance. And he says, so in verse 18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And he's giving you two different meanings here. One is that the Lord actually is our inheritance. But also we are his inheritance. So when you think about what the Lord thinks about you, everything in all of creation, anything that has ever been made and ever will be made, a galaxy that is constantly expanding, that we don't understand, the beauty of the natural kingdom, the angels and heavenly hosts, all of them, these incredible, beautiful things. The Lord looks at them and says, you are my inheritance. The thing the Lord wants most in all of creation is you. That should tell you a little something about how he feels about you. I mean, what is the thing you most value and treasure? The Lord says, it's Janisha. She is my inheritance. Like, how wild is that? God could literally create anything in a moment, in a thought. He's like, cool, you. You are my reward. Like, do you think that God thinks about you that way when you think about him? Or do you think he's just a little bit judgy and disappointed? Because if you do, I think you actually misunderstand what he's like. And usually for us, an inheritance is gained when someone dies. But Jesus, our God, our inheritance is alive. It is now. We get to spend our inheritance with Jesus now and forevermore, on and on and on into eternity. And so on the one hand, we're his treasure, we're his reward. On the other hand, like we're his. And so God, the person of God, is the inheritance of those who love him. So we who believe our great thing we look forward to is heaven. That's like the goal, you know. That's going to be amazing. We're going to get to heaven. It's going to be Jesus. But this is the thing. Heaven is Jesus. Without Jesus, heaven is not heaven. Jesus is the inheritance. Without heaven, Jesus isn't Jesus. Like they're the one and the same. It's like heaven literally is the eternal, never-ending presence of our Father and our friend, Jesus. And he says that God is the inheritance of those who love him. And so because God is our inheritance, the things of God become our inheritance. And so these are things like the spiritual blessings of the Father. Forgiveness of sins, atonement, redemption, being set free from our past and our sin, being set free from addiction, set free from illnesses, set free from slavery, from the hold that this world has on us. Adoption as sons and daughters of the King. Like, I love it. My kids are adopted into my family. Like, they are 100% mine. No distinction between, you know, my two adopted kids and the one born of me. Like, they are... Absolutely mine. 
and then the sealing of the Holy Spirit, this promise and guarantee that there's more to come. And I love that because can you imagine God having put his Holy Spirit in you? And now God's not a liar, okay? God is, he holds to his word. But it's almost as if to convince us. He's like, I've put a deposit in you and it's my Holy Spirit. Do you not think God's coming back for that? Like, why would he put his Holy Spirit in you to just then walk away? Or you mess up and he's like, no, I'm taking that back. It's a guarantee. Non-refundable, non-returnable, not exchangeable for cash either. But like his Holy Spirit, man, it's in us. And what I love is that, you know, for us, a will, if you think about an inheritance, often we think of the movies where there's this moment, everyone gets in the lawyer's office and they open up the will and there's this kind of, am I going to get, am I not? Like they read out the will and then there's that one guy who's like, you suck and you didn't leave me. And like he gets bleak and then the other guy gets all the wealth. And like for us, there's this measure of uncertainty often when we think about inheritance. It's just like we don't know what we're going to get. But this inheritance is not like that because it is guaranteed. It's there. There's a down payment and a seal. And God is not a liar. And he doesn't go back on his word. What I love as well is that this inheritance is not something you've earned. And I quite like that idea because if you can earn it, you can unearn it. So if I can live a really good life, I've got some measure of control over the inheritance. If I mess up a bit, oh, what now? I feel like, no, the Lord's saying, this is my gift to you. Actually, all that you need is faith in me and a heart inclined towards me. It's not this like performance-based bonus annually reviewed. I love it that this inheritance is described as being in the heavenly places. So first of all, it's not stuff which rusts, gets stolen, gets taxed, degenerates, runs out of diesel. It is in heavenly places, which also means that it's eternal. It lasts forever And it's this eternal spiritual inheritance that actually transcends earthly possessions and wealth. Like we know, no matter how good you have it here, that stays here. I don't know who wrote this, but it's so true. He said that for the Christian, for that who knows God, like this, this world and all its pleasures and hardships is the closest you will ever get to hell. Imagine that. This that you experience here is the worst it's ever going to be if you know Jesus. For those that don't know him, this world and all its pleasure and pain is the closest you will ever get to heaven. It's a scary thought, but actually I'm like Jesus. It's also beautiful because I have a guaranteed inheritance in him. And our inheritance is that. It's an eternity with Jesus. Heaven is Jesus. Jesus is heaven. And we're spirit beings. We covered this a little while ago. Like, I am actually a spirit right now in a little vessel of bones and meat and skin and indigestion. I don't know why I went there. But, um, and so the thing is, if you're, if you're a spiritual being, right, the only thing that can actually be enough portion for you, like a diesel car runs on diesel. That's what it needs for life. Spirit beings... The only thing that can be satisfactory portion for man is the things of the Spirit. 
it's God. This is the only thing that will ever satisfy our souls, really. And we can find temporary pleasures here, like we've been there. But actually the deep satisfaction that will go on into eternity is going to be these things of the Lord. So the big question becomes, when do we get it? Because I have this inheritance, but Jesus isn't going to die. He already did that. And now he's alive. Can you quickly put up verse 17 there again? So this is where God just gets a little bit crazy for me. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So let's just paint this picture for you, right? God has ransomed us, right? He sends his son. He says, like, I love you so much that I can't afford to lose you. I'm sending my son. He's going to go. He's going to save you. He's going to set you free from your sin. He's going to bring healing to the world. He's going to bring healing to your souls. He's going to give you an inheritance. He's going to wash you clean of every bad thing you've ever done. He's going to put his Holy Spirit in you. And then he says, and even then, I'm going to give you even more. I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit so that you can know me even more. It's like God is not satisfied with just saving us. He's like, no, no, no. The best thing for you, the great treasure I have for you is that you would know me more. And I know that your little human brain and your frail little heart is so limited in its ability to do that that I'm actually going to ask my spirit to give you wisdom and revelation, a supernatural ability to know the person of Jesus. I'm like, Lord, why would you be so generous? It's like he's just going over the top now. And so I love it, like, the idea of our inheritance is that we would grow in the knowledge of Jesus as he really is, like undistorted by our own preconceived ideas. And that's a little bit of what I'm trying to even do here this morning is that we have these perceptions of who God is. And I feel like the Lord's saying, no, know me. Let my spirit and revelation come in and change even the way you think so that you could know me as I truly am. And that's crazy to me. I think like... We're singing these songs this morning about how God is like, He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He sits in authority over everything. He's the creator of everything. And His heart's cry is that you'd know Him. Like, Lord, why? Why would you want me, someone like me, to know you? And He turns on and says, because it's my good pleasure. And so, you get that God delights in you. Like he looks at you and he delights in you. Yeah, he sees the stuff that you get wrong and the sin and he's like, yeah, that's there. Because I so delight in you, I've even sent my son so that we can cover that. You can wash it away. So when I look at you, I see the one in who I delight. And we struggle with this thing because that's often not the experience we've always had from our own parents who don't always delight in us, or our bosses who don't always delight in us, or our government who often doesn't delight in us. And I feel like the Lord's saying, yeah, but, but me, my heart, like, I delight in you. I love you. I look at you and I feel pleasure and joy and affirmation, so much so that I'm already planning ahead for you into eternity that you would have an inheritance. 
Like this, Charles Spurgeon said this amazing thing. So for those of you who don't know Charles Spurgeon, he's just this brilliant, brilliant preacher and like a really sound theologian and just incredibly gifted with, with words. And he said, it has been said by someone that the proper study of mankind is man. I won't oppose that idea. But I believe it is equally true that the proper study of God's elect is God. The proper study of a Christian is the Godhead. The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom he calls his Father. Like, is that how you feel about God? Like, is he the thing that just captivates you? And if he doesn't, it might be because maybe you've got a bit of a warped perception of him. Maybe you're a little scared to come near him. Maybe you're a little too aware of your own failings or, I don't know, your own insecurities. For philosophy comes to man with a message, know thyself. And the gospel meets him with a far more glorious and fruitful word, know your God. That is what you're called to do as a Christian. That is the whole purpose of your salvation. That is what you're going to be doing on and on into eternity, is knowing God. And he's not lame. And he's not boring. And he's not judgy. And he's not strict. And he's, he is this loving father above all else. And because he loves, yes, at times he'll use discipline to correct us. At times he'll call out the things that are going to hurt us and say, hey man, like, don't do that. You're hurting yourself and I love you. So he does those things, but it's, for God so loved the world. Carries on. Verse 18, it says, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Like when you think of God, do you think of hope? Because he's called us to a hope. And our hope is this. My security in life lies in knowing, first of all, that God has called me. That song that we sang, I know what he says I am, I know who he says I am. That is who you are. You are someone who God has called by name. Hilton, you're someone who God has called by name. He said, Hilton, bro, you, you're mine, calling you. I'm calling you out of the millions, you. And then having called us, he has a specific call for us. He's like, I'm not just calling you to come here. He's like, Hilton, also... What I'm going to do is I'm going to open up to you the mystery of the kingdom, the beauty of my plan, which is to bring everything together in unity under Jesus. You're going to help me. You're in on the game. Like, how wild is that? Imagine being mandated by the king of kings. Like, if President Cyril Ramaphosa comes to you and gives you, like, this thing doesn't exist, but a, a badge. It's like, do anything badge. It says, I'm giving you this badge. I'm giving you authority to go anywhere within the Republic of South Africa. And if people see this, they have to let you in. You're going to walk around like, I know who I am. But you are. You're going to walk with boldness, with conviction, 
You're not going to be like fearful or timid or... And that is what God is saying. He's like, I called me, God, creator of everything. I've called you and I've given you a call. I'm pulling you into the game, into the mandate. And so, because of this call on our lives, we have this eternal inheritance. We have an eternal future of resurrection. This body, no matter how beaten up and broken and old it gets, is going to be recreated. So I don't place my hope in this thing. I could try to look after it because, you know, it's got to get me somewhere. But if it falls apart, that shouldn't really affect my hope because it's going to be rebuilt perfectly. Six-pack. Might actually get calf muscles the next time. I'm quite excited about that. Didn't get those in the first round. But seriously, there's going to be a resurrection for us. Freedom from sin. Okay? Those things you wrestle. You fight against your flesh. And so often you feel so full of just like hopelessness. I tell you something, you're going to win. You're going to win that battle. Because your flesh is going to die. You might beat it to death for the rest of your life. But it will die. And you'll be resurrected free from the addictions you struggle with, the pain you carry, the strongholds that you fought against for so long. And that doesn't just happen then. But even if, so often we lose hope because we're like, Lord, this fight is hard and it's long. And it is. But for me, there's hope that, but one day, in this life, or when it ends, I'll be done with that thing, that illness that depression, that anxiety, that anger, that stronghold. And I'm waking up to an eternal, uninterrupted, intimate communion with Jesus. Does that not fill you with a sense of hope? Like no matter how much things here might suck, the worst it can do is kill me. And even if it kills me slowly and painfully, like, cool, I'm going, like, I'm going to be with Jesus, man. And what I love is God says, where is this in? Let's go to verse 18 again. It says, I pray that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And go over to 19. And also his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So the power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead. The power that God used to go down and take the keys of death and Hades, that power, God says, I'm directing it at you. Does that not blow your mind? I'm like, Lord, and what I love is, you know, it's, it's power. Um, you know what potential energy is? So if I hold this here, it's got potential energy sitting there. It's not doing anything, but it's there. When I drop it, that potential energy is realized into actual kinetic energy. Okay, a little physics class for free there. 
So what I love is that God's power, it's not potential power. It's not, hey, it's here, but don't touch it. It's like, no, it is conscious, directed, willed power. And it's incomparable. It says his incomparable power. So it's also not like anything you've ever known. So like, yeah, God, I know that your power is strong, but also this addiction really has me. He's like, no, 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 you're trying to compare my power to the strength of your addiction. You can't compare them. They are incomparable. You're trying to compare my power to the depth and pain of your brokenness. You can't compare them. It is incomparable and it is great. So it's big. It's strong. When the Bible uses the word great, it's not like, oh, that's great. It's like, no, this thing is great. It is massive. And then it is for us if we believe in him. So this power is part of our inheritance if we believe in him. And so the same power that raised Jesus from the grave, the same power that defeated death, the same power that breaks every single chain, the same power that heals every hurt, the same power that gives us hope and comfort, same power can overcome any unbelief. It can turn any sinner. It can heal any pain. It can set you free from any stronghold. It can ease any anxious mind. It is power, and it's real, and it's here. And it carries on to say that he takes his Jesus and he seats him far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is invoked. So he takes Jesus and this power which he's made available to us and says, right, now what I'm going to do is I'm putting it above everything. This power is in the person of Jesus who we are in and it's placed above every other authority. It is supreme. It is over every government. It is over every angel and archangel and demon and world power and boss and person and sickness and stronghold. Then it says, not only in this age, so not just what you're dealing with now, but on and on in the age to come. So it is above everything and it is forever. That is what we are sharing in when we come to Jesus. That is the power that is accessible to us through the person of the Holy Spirit. And I love this. Jesus has won. Do you believe that? Like Jesus has won. We know that. He went down into the devil's living room, beat him up, took his car keys, and won. Serious. That's what he did. The Bible tells us he went to hell. Fought the devil, won. Took the keys of death and Hades and said, these are mine now. I'm out of here. Came back, was resurrected, is alive and living and still holds those keys. So I love this. In our battles, there's not an uncertain outcome. When it comes to Jesus, he won. He will win. He is winning. He's going to keep on winning. There's no uncertainty about what the outcome is going to be in Jesus. Okay, the devil has been dealt a death blow. He's just still twitching while he dies. But he's going. He's done. He's done. Ticket's booked. Okay. 
and it says that he is the head of everything. And we are his body. So this Jesus who carries the power and authority over everything is the head. And he says, and you're my finger and my hand and my foot. You are part of this body of the person of Jesus. And so our inheritance actually is that we have been joined through the work of the cross into this Jesus, into this power, into this authority. We're under him, absolutely. So when we step out from under him, we lose that. But for as long as we're under him, like we don't have to fear. We don't have to lose hope. Every other being is subject to Jesus. So powers, principalities, angels, demons, governments, they're all subject to him. But for you and I who know him, it says that we are joined to him. How beautiful is that, eh? Like we're actually part of him. The Bible says that we are part of the fullness of Christ, who fills everything in every way. So actually as the Christian, you're part of the fullness of Jesus. Has that ever occurred to you? That you actually fill part of his plan on earth. Like you're part of the fullness of him. You make up the body of Jesus, which is his church, of which he is the head. The one who's one. So I love it. Paul is expressing this idea that Christ is the source of all power and authority in the universe. And that us, his followers in the church, are filled with that same presence and power. And so the fullness of Christ actually refers to this complete and ex- like expression of his power, his wisdom, and his love, which is available to us when we believe in him. And all it takes is believing in him. So I feel like we're so much more than just these little people stuck in our little hopeless situations. And that's the lie that the enemy always wants to... That's him trying to actually take inheritance from you. Say, no, 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 don't, don't believe that. Don't let even... I feel like even now, the enemy's coming and trying to say, don't let hope and faith rise up. This is not for you, those guys, not you. I feel like the Lord's saying, no. No, I chose you by name from before time to share in this inheritance. And so we as the body of Christ are filled with the Spirit, and we actually reflect His character and His nature to the world. You realize that you carry in you the ability to be a reflection of Jesus on this planet, which means you're a reflection of Jesus to those who don't know Him. You're also a reflection of Jesus to the powers and principalities, to darkness, to oppression. You carry the power of Jesus in you. And through us, through the church, he's working to bring his purposes through in the world. And so, does that make sense? Are you guys following? Getting a lot of blank faces here. But I feel like the great enemy of faith is often hopelessness. And I really felt like the Lord this morning saying, listen, I want to come again and convince you not of your purpose, which is there, and we can cover that later, but of how I see you, of what I've put in you, of the deposit I've put in you, of the faith I've put in you, of the power I've given you access to, of the identity. Kev, was it you who bought that Kif identity word? Hey, that's the Lord. Like he's saying, cool, I want to come and show you how I feel about you. I love you so much that I've created this glorious eternal inheritance. 
That's for you. And it's not just for you then, it's for you now. It's to walk with me, to know me, to have access to me. I feel like if we get anything less than that, it's just just like it's you've settled for, you know. There's a beautiful story in the Bible about yeah, yeah. I actually feel like while we're even I'm preaching this, there's some of you who are like, yeah, but I've had that inheritance, I've tasted it, I've squandered it, I've spent it, I've wasted it. I've sinned, I've messed up, I've fallen short, I've done the wrong things. There's a story in the Bible that covers that. It's a son who actually asks his father for his inheritance. It's, and he takes it and he squanders it all, he wastes it. Throws it away. Drinks it up as a party. And then he comes back and his dad sees his son coming from far off. And he runs to his son. Like undignified, legs showing. Like he runs to his son and embraces him and kisses him and wraps him in his best coat and has this giant feast. And it's like this extravagant love that he pours over his son because he is his son. Doesn't ask him, hey, where's the money? Doesn't comment on the fact that this guy smells like He's sleeping with the pigs, because he has. He embraces him and brings him in. I feel like the Lord's saying, listen, I put that story in the Bible for you so that you'd read it and be convinced. That is his heart and his nature for us. 